Hello. Hello. I'm Sarah. I'm Casey. And we are Relatively Relatively Dark. Dark. start with something weird you know that i don't know how to react to it sometimes so i would ask you you know how your morning was and stuff but i know because we spent it together we did we went and got coffee and we got breakfast and we had some sister time mm-hmm. and a lot of it consisted of podcast conversation yeah <laughs> it did but yeah that's good though mm-hmm. so enough chit chat yeah we need to get into this one she's got a whole stack of packet of info over there a very big packet of info i didn't want to put it into two parts so it's a lot okay i'm ready um i do want to acknowledge a trigger warning at the beginning of this there's going to be a lot of discussion of suicide suicidal thoughts things like that so if that hits a certain soft spot for you that's cool and you can listen to our next episode yeah we still love you um so we are going to talk about the death of conrad roy okie dokie Conrad Henry Roy III was born September 12th in 1995. His parents were Lynn and Conrad Henry Roy Jr., obviously, a second. He had two younger sisters named Camden and Morgan. And when describing Conrad, his family said that he had a great sense of humor. He was smart. He was a happy kid. And he dreamed of playing for the Boston Red Sox. Okay. But his dad, Dag okay his dad was a tugboat captain okay and he started working with him when he got older and eventually decided he wanted to follow his footsteps and become a tugboat captain too Alrighty. unfortunately his parents divorced in 2011 when conrad was 16 okay i think 16 or 17 and he took it really hard he developed depression and social anxiety he had trouble sleeping couldn't focus Man. So his parents took him to a few different psychiatrists and they diagnosed him with the depression and the social anxiety. Okay. For the next couple of months after that, his family said he was super positive. He was taking his medication, seeing his therapist on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and he seemed to be doing good. Sadly, though, Conrad was still really struggling. And in October of 2012, he took an overdose of acetaminophen in an attempt to end his life. Luckily, though, he told his friend Ariana what he had done. I'm assuming he texted her. And she called his mom to get him help and pretty much saved his life. Yeah. Lynn, his mom, told him, you know, you have to promise you won't ever do that again. If you're feeling that way, you have to come and talk to me. And again, he seemed to be doing better. He graduated high school with a 3.88 GPA. Wow. All while earning his captain's license. Wow. And he was accepted into Fitchburg State University. So he was doing really well. Yeah. He was doing big things. On the outside. Yeah. On July 12th in 2014, Conrad left his house at 620 that evening, and he told his mom that he was going over to Ariana's house. 10 o'clock rolls around, and she hasn't heard from him. She's a little worried, but he is 18 at this point. Right. She texts him, you know, where are you? She doesn't get anything back. So she asks Camden, his sister, if she's heard anything from him. She tells him that she hasn't, but she did get a text from someone else asking if she knew where he was. 
So apparently he has friends that are getting worried too because they haven't heard from him. Right. At 11 o'clock, Lynn decides to go to bed. She wakes up a couple hours later. Conrad is still not home. She texts him again. You know, when are you coming home? It's really late. Doesn't get anything back. The next morning, it is now July 13th. There's still no sign of Conrad. So Lynn calls Ariana. She tells Lynn Conrad was never there. The documentary that I watched about this, in it, Lynn said, quote, Honestly, I had this feeling that went through my whole body that I've never felt in my life, and I felt like it was his soul going through me. It was the most chilling feeling I've ever had. That's when I called the police, end quote. Oh, my gosh. So she calls the police, and she tells them, you know, that he's missing, that he's driving a black Ford F-250 big diesel truck with a bunch of stickers on the back windshield. Officer David Courier, I've heard Courier, Courier, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, he goes to speak with Lynn. He takes the missing person report and he learns about Conrad's struggle with depression. He gets all of the info that he needs and he heads out to start searching. Mm -hmm. His family and friends also go looking, you know, places that he frequents a lot, places he's known to go. Um, While searching, at around 5.30 p.m., Officer Courier notices a black F-250 pull into a Kmart parking lot. Okay. So he follows it, and as he's following that truck, he sees another black F-250 already in the parking lot, and this one has stickers on the back windshield. So the one he was following wasn't the one with stickers. Right. As he was following that one, he noticed the one with stickers that was already there. And he notices that the license plate matched the information that he'd been given when taking the missing persons report. Okay. Uh, This was almost 24 hours since Conrad had left his house the day before. Okay. At first, Career didn't think anybody was in the truck, but when he walked up to it, he saw Conrad slumped over in the front seat. His glasses were lopsided on his face. His hat was tilted to one side. And he said he just, he wasn't in a natural position. Right. He called it in and he also called the fire department and when they arrived, they opened the door, checked for a pulse, and there wasn't one. 18-year-old Conrad Roy was gone. Right. There were no signs of any trauma to his body, but they did notice something in the back seat. Okay. What they noticed was a gasoline-powered water pump. Okay. Authorities concluded that it was a suicide and Conrad had asphyxiated on the exhaust gases from that water pump. Okay. The same effect, basically, as leaving a car running Mm -hmm. inside a garage. Right. At the time of his death, Conrad's sisters were just 11 and 13. Man. Lynn said that on the day before he went missing, he took a walk with her on the beach. They talked, and they shared clam cakes, and she said that he wanted to be with her and his sisters after she knew why. Man. So, in Massachusetts, that's where this is, by the way. I did not mention that at the beginning. Okay. Some places put his hometown as Fairhaven. In other places, it's Mattapoisett, I think is how you say it. Okay. But, I mean, they're like... Right next to each other. Just a few minutes apart, so... um, In Massachusetts, there's a law that states that any unattended death must be investigated. Okay. So, even though it was an apparent suicide, pretty clear it was a suicide... The chief of the Fairhaven Police Department, Michael Myers. Okay. Kind of funny. Um, he stated that it was their job to be as thorough as possible. Right. Which is awesome. And it's unfortunate that every police department does not approach every case 
with the same mindset. Yeah. They should. People are people and humans are always going to have lapses in judgment. Yeah. Or just some of them are just stupid. No offense. Yeah. Anyways. Um, <laughs> uh, when the autopsy report came back, it stated that there were no drugs or alcohol in his system. And his cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning, which was consistent with this being a suicide. So this mm-hmm. basically confirmed that it was. Uh, his estimated time of death was around 8 p.m. on July 12th, which was about an hour and a half after he left his house the night before his truck was found. Mm-hmm. Five days later, on July 18th, a funeral and a wake was held for Conrad at St. Anthony's Church in Mattapoisett. Mm-hmm. Camden, his sister, talked about how long the line was and how she wished that he could have seen how many people cared about him. You I know? bet he did. Yeah, I truly believe that he probably did. Um, while searching Conrad's truck, the police collected his phone. And this ended up being the crucial piece to putting together the puzzle of what led to Conrad taking his life. When Sergeant Gordon, who was helping with the investigation, started going through the phone, he noticed that all of his text messages had been deleted except for one conversation. That conversation was between him and a girl named Michelle Carter. Okay. Going through all of their texts, through their whole conversation, it was clear to Gordon that Michelle knew that Conrad was contemplating suicide. And to him, it seemed that she was encouraging him to follow through with it. Oh, my gosh. So, I'm going to take a step back and tell you a little bit about Michelle Carter. Quick question. Yes. You don't have to raise your hand. Leave me alone. Is there any kind of law against doing that? Or can you face repercussions for encouraging someone to do that? We will talk about that shortly. Okay. So, Michelle Carter was born August 11th, 1996. Her parents were David and Gail Carter, and at the time of Conrad's death, she was living in Plainville, Massachusetts. She was a senior in high school. She was an honor student, member of the softball team, and she was voted most likely to make you feel good about your day okay. in the class. Yeah. I can't think of what they're called, but anyways, everybody right. knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> According to a friend of the Carters, he said Michelle was loyal. You could always count on her. They were a great, caring family. The dad helped coach the softball team. The mom always brought the snacks. So they just seemed like awesome. Good people, good family. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Like I said, though, she lived in Plainville, and Conrad lived in Fairhaven, Mattapoisett, whatever. Mm -hmm. So they lived about 45 miles away from each other. Like an hour, about an hour's drive from one of their houses to the other. Okay. A lot of people didn't know, or investigators didn't know at first how they knew each other. Turns out they met in February of 2012 when both families had took a vacation to Naples. Oh, okay. So they were introduced that way. The police go to interview the Roy family. Mm -hmm. And when talking about Michelle's relationship with Conrad, they tell detectives that they knew of her, but they didn't really know the extent of her relationship with Conrad. Right. But Lynn says that she had found a notebook that belonged to Conrad and he had written letters to everyone. Letters to his parents, to his sisters, and he had wrote one to Michelle. Okay. I'm assuming like suicide notes. Right. It turns out, even though that they had met two and a half years earlier on that Naples vacation, they had only hung out like a handful of times. Right. Their entire relationship, whatever it was, was basically strictly texting. Okay. I mean, they were teenagers. Right. 
While the police are there, they ask for permission to search Conrad's computer, and they come across videos that Conrad had recorded of himself. He was basically talking about his mental health. It seemed like just getting things off his chest, you know, Mm -hmm. talking through his emotions and stuff. In one video in particular from June 13th, a month before his death, Conrad talks about his social anxiety, and he says things like, He is who he is. He needs to be comfortable in his own skin. He needs to be happy with himself. He wants to recover. He wants to get better. He talks about how he has this feeling of insecurity and neglect toward himself. You can tell from that video that he really wanted to overcome whatever obstacle he was struggling with. Right. Do you know if at this time he was seeing any therapist or psychiatrist or anything? Um, As far as I can conclude... He had one, but it was kind of off and on. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it was like a weekly thing or anything like that, but he did have one from what I understand. But I don't want to say anything for sure because I don't know for sure. I was just wondering if the videos were maybe a suggestion from a therapist or something. Yeah, possibly. That's a really good point. I didn't think of that. Because I know therapists suggest writing stuff down, you know, to help and stuff and um, obviously talking to people and stuff. So if we couldn't. Instead of writing, she suggested just recording. Like video journaling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very possible. I hadn't thought of that. Well, there you go. So the district assistant district attorney of Bristol County named Mary Claire Finn said, quote, It was very evident that he was a very sensitive young man that was going through a lot of similar things that a lot of teenagers go through. And unfortunately, Michelle Carter ended up on the other end of that phone. End quote. Mm. Which is like, whoa. Yeah. She, Michelle, was telling him to go ahead and do it. Don't back out. You keep saying you're going to, but you never do. Things like that. So the investigators wondered, why did he delete every conversation but theirs? Because they eventually find out Michelle told him to delete their conversation, but he didn't. So Sergeant Gordon thinks that maybe it was intentional. You know, maybe he wanted everyone to know how she was encouraging him to do this. Right. Um, At this point, Conrad's family doesn't know about the texts between him and Michelle, and it's mainly because the police weren't sure if charges could be filed. Yeah. At this point, they really didn't know the extent of all of this stuff. Right. Throughout the rest of that summer, though, Michelle was texting Lynn. For example, one text said, I'm so very sorry. Conrad meant so much to me, and he was loved by so many. Okay. And another said, if you and your family need anything, please let me know. I can come by tomorrow to help comfort you if you need it. Okay. Lynn even told Michelle that she was glad that her son had her in his life because of how much she cared about him. Which is awful. Yeah. Conrad's friends, though, they had a very different view of Michelle. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably the right one. Yeah. They said, you know, she made this big scene at the funeral. She was crying, like... Not just crying, she was sobbing. Yeah, like, like hysterical. Super loud, yeah, hysterical. It seemed to them like she wanted attention. Mm-hmm. Two months after Conrad's death, Michelle put together a baseball and softball tournament, like a charity event, mm-hmm. and it was uh, called Homers for Conrad, and all of the proceeds from that went to help with suicide prevention. Okay. Which is it's a good thing. Right. But it was held in Plainville, which is her hometown. Mm-hmm. Her hometown, not Conrad's. It's like she's using, well, like a lot of people do, his death for Mm -hmm. 
she's like diverting the focus of his death to her. Right. Like, like she's doing all this stuff supposedly for him, but she's getting the attention. She's getting the glory. Yeah. She's getting, like, gratification for right. whatever. Oh, look what you're doing. That's so nice of you. Yeah, I'm just trying to help. Yeah. Sorry. Just wait. Okay. Uh, the detectives mm-hmm. investigating his death were actually there, and they had to make sure that the person that Conrad was getting these texts from was actually Michelle, because the phone was, like, in her parents' names. So they called. Right. She answered. Mm-hmm. It was her. On October 2nd in 2014, 10 weeks after Conrad was found in his truck, they went to Michelle's school. Okay. They wanted to talk to her, but mainly they wanted to get that phone. They recorded their interview. They asked her if she had contact with him the day he died. And she says, I don't think so. Okay. They also asked if he had told her that he was going to do anything like that. And she said, quote, He was talking about it for a while. I had a feeling that if he didn't get help, then something was going to happen. And I was going to, I was trying to get help for him sooner, but by the time it was just too late, end quote. Mm -hmm. So right off the bat, they know she's lying. Mm -hmm. They present her with a warrant and they confiscate her phone. Investigators were supposed to talk to her and her parents the next day, I guess for like a formal interview, interrogation, whatever. They were supposed to contact Sergeant Gordon the next day to set that up, whatever. But instead, they contacted him to let him know that they obtained a lawyer and they weren't going to speak with him again. Okay. So they extract everything on her phone, even what's been deleted. Anybody who doesn't know this, they can do that. Just because you delete it off your phone, it is not deleted from the other stuff, tech stuff. Anyways, they collect about 60,000 items. Texts, calls, pictures, videos, all that. Wow. Years of data off of this girl's phone. They're going through the texts, and at first, she seems very caring. She's trying Mm -hmm. to talk him out of it when he does bring up something. But eventually, it turns cruel. In the texts Michelle sent to Conrad, she even suggests ways for him to take his own life. Wow. Some examples. Oh, gosh. She suggests him drinking some bleach. Maybe you could hang yourself. You could use poison. And eventually, they quote-unquote settle on the water pump idea. Authorities fully believe that if it weren't for her interactions with Conrad, Mm -hmm. he would still be alive. I do not disagree. Right. Chief Michael Myers said, quote, There was no doubt that it was wrong, but the question became, was it only morally wrong or was it criminally wrong? Somebody in the documentary, I don't remember who it was, they said about 30 states have some kind of statute in place that prohibits encouraging someone to commit suicide. Massachusetts is not one of those states. It's Kentucky. Do you know? I want to say that it does have something. Okay. Um, So technically, there was no law against what what Michelle did. But... Mm. In February of 2015, the grand jury indicted Michelle on the charge of involuntary manslaughter. Wow. Which basically means that one person's negligence led to another person's death. Right. Is that what it is? Like, say, if someone dies as the result of, like, a car accident or something? Yes, I think so. Okay. Like, someone's actions or non-actions result in someone's death. Yes. Okay. Because I know voluntary manslaughter is more, like, in the heat of the moment or whatever you hurt somebody. Okay. I could be wrong. 
Okay. Pretty sure that's what it means. Okay. So, sorry. The assistant district attorney, Mary Claire Flynn, she had to sit down with Conrad's family and finally show him all, show them all of these text messages that Michelle had sent. Oh, I cannot imagine. I'm sure at this point, they didn't wait until Michelle was indicted. They knew what, yeah. like, the reason for it was, but they just hadn't seen for themselves all of that. Oh, gosh. And Conrad's mom said, quote, She went into a vulnerable young man's mind and twisted his mind into thinking that he was better off not being here. She manipulated my son in the worst way possible, end quote. Awful. And she's not wrong. No. Michelle turned herself in, and she was released on a $2,500 bond. Okay. On June 9th, 2015, she pled not guilty, and she remained out on bail. And her defense attorney, Joseph Cataldo, I think mm-hmm. is how you say his name, he said, quote, We are dealing strictly with words. We have a person who was not present when he made his own voluntary decision to take his own life, and she did not do anything physical in nature, end quote. He's this, not wrong. No, he's but, not. That's the thing. The, the big debate is, was this a crime, or was prosecuting her a violation of her First Amendment right to free speech? I'm battling in my head here. Yeah. <laughs> you will continue the battle. Uh, so Michelle got no sympathy from the public at all. They saw her as, as evil and manipulative. So at some point in court, she made a particular face, mm-hmm. just kind of like a, most people would think is just an involuntary face to make. But it caught the public's eye because a, a picture was taken of that face. And then after that, she doesn't care She's making this face in court. She just, and the picture does seem like she's bored. She's over it. She's like, whatever. Devil's advocate. It's just a face. I probably make plenty of faces all the time that people probably think I'm like in a super bad mood or rude or whatever. Yeah. And then if you pause a video at the exact right moment, it looks crazy, but you never noticed it if you just watched it through. Exactly. It could have, that could have been the reason the face was made. It could have been completely taken out of context. So I don't know one way or the other. But that instigated more. Yes. Um, Michelle waived her right to be tried by jury, which meant the case would be presented to a judge, Mm -hmm. and the judge alone would determine the verdict. Okay. One reason, or one likely reason, that they did this is because the jury is more likely to take morality into consideration Mm -hmm. as opposed to a judge who is going to be solely focused on the law. Yeah. So they were hoping, you know, that would work in their advantage, which is a good strategy. Yeah. On June 6th, 2017 is when the trial began. Okay. Took a long time. Yeah. Judge Lawrence Moniz oversaw the case, and the prosecution claimed that she wanted the attention, she wanted the sympathy of playing the grieving girlfriend. This is why she did it. Mm-hmm. The defense's argument was centered around two points. One... It wasn't criminally wrong. Right. And two, they really wanted to focus on Conrad's state of mind at mm-hmm. the time. He had a history of suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts. And they argued the fact that he left his house that day. He drove to the Kmart parking lot and he turned on that water pump. Mm-hmm. She physically did not do anything. Yeah. So remember when I said Conrad's sister got a text the night that he didn't come home? Yeah, from a, a friend. Yeah, a friend wondering where he was or whatever. Yeah. That was Michelle. Oh. That texted her. The text said, 
Hey Camden, it's Michelle Carter. I don't know if you remember me, but I'm dating your brother again, ha ha, and he hasn't answered me and I'm just starting to get a little worried. Is he okay? That text was sent at 10.18 p.m. When investigators went through both of their phones, they find a phone call from Conrad to Michelle that lasted approximately 38 minutes. And then she called him back and they talked for another 42 minutes. When he called her, it was 6.18 p.m. So that meant their conversation ended right around Conrad's estimated time of death. It's very likely that she was on the phone with him when he passed. Most people are thinking she sent that text to Conrad's sister knowing that he was already dead. <laughs> so the Homers for Conrad event, um, apparently one of Conrad's friends, his best friend, called Michelle and asked her if she would move it to Mattapoisett, mm -hmm. where Conrad's friends and family all live, and she refused to. She didn't want to move it. Right. She had apparently texted him after they had that conversation, joking like, you know, don't try to take credit for my idea. And at that event, apparently she was laughing. She was goofing off the whole time. And it rubbed people the wrong way because... It's a sad occasion. Yeah. It's a bittersweet occasion. Like, it's a good thing to do but, I mean, to raise even, awareness, but it's... That's what I'm saying. It was even raising awareness. It wasn't just in honor of him. It was raising awareness for what he did. Yeah. She was taking pictures with all the teens that played. There's one where they're, like, holding her up. So this was just one step the prosecution took to be like, this is why she did this. Look yeah. how she was acting two months after. But the defense said that she had texted that same friend of Conrad's in 2012 asking about him, asking if he was okay, because she cared. So they're basically trying to, she may have done this then, but she also did this. You know what I mean? Trying to cancel it out. Yeah. On the day that Conrad died, Michelle was texting a girl that she rarely talked to. She wasn't, like, super close friends with. She knew her from, like, summer camp. Yeah. And she was telling her... You know, we should be good friends. Do you want to be good friends? This was at the same time that she was texting Conrad. This was the day he died. So she's texting him, leading up to him doing the act, encouraging him to do it, and she's texting another girl like, hey, we should be good friends. Like, she does not care. Like, it's not Gosh. affecting her at all, knowing that this boy that she supposedly loves, cares for, is on his way to end his life. Wow. Anyway, there was another time. She was texting a girl, not super close with her. I guess Michelle had asked her if she had a boyfriend, and she reciprocated, do you have a boyfriend? And she says that she does, but he's in a bad place. But when Michelle was texting her that, Conrad had already passed away at that time, at that point. Really? Yeah, and Michelle had already knew that. One witness testified that Michelle texted her saying that her boyfriend was missing two days before his death. Oh my gosh. She was texting him all that day. He was not missing then. He was not dead then. He was fine But he then. told another girl the same day, but she told another girl the same day that he was missing. Yeah. Oh gosh. So investigators described all of this that she's doing as a dry run. Seeing how her friends would react, seeing if she'd get the sympathy and the attention, you know, mm -hmm. feeling bad for her. And they reacted how she wanted them to. So she started pressuring Conrad more to take his own life. Like, okay, if this did happen, 
I would have more friends and I would get all that attention and sympathy. So you need to go ahead and do this so I can be popular, basically. The defense's strategy throughout all of these testimonies is basically the same thing. They're trying to spin the context of one text conversation by talking about another one. They're talking about earlier texts where the girls were like, you know, cheerful conversations, love you, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Basically the same rebuttal to every one of the prosecution's small wins that they had. Yeah. Um, The prosecution, they had one crucial witness, and this was a girl named Samantha Boardman. Okay. Uh, She went by Sam. Okay. Michelle apparently really wanted to be close to Sam. Okay. Um, She thought she was amazing. She thought she was beautiful. And Sam testified that Michelle didn't understand boundaries. If she took a while to text her back, uh-huh. Michelle would send multiple, like, really long texts until she got a response. Okay. But it's, when you take everything else into consideration about everything I've talked about so far, mm-hmm. it's weird. It kind of leads you to, you know, think this way and see something in a different light. But if you just take that aspect of it, mm-hmm. they're in high school. You know what I mean? Girls can be like that sometimes. You know what I mean? They really want to be friends. They want to be well-liked. I mean, yeah, it's just how it is. But add that to everything else. Yeah. It just kind of plays in the prosecution's favor. Right. During her testimony, Sam's, uh, they went over several text conversations. But the most shocking text Michelle sent to Sam was her talking about the night Conrad's life ended. Part of this text said, quote, I wasn't supposed to let that happen, and now I'm realizing I failed him. Sam, his death was my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone, and he got out of the car because it was working, and he got scared. And I told him to get back in, Sam. End quote. My gosh. So to reiterate, he got out because he was scared, and she told him to get back in. I don't know what to say. His sister, Morgan, made a very good point. She said, Michelle could have told him, get out. And that single sentence probably would have saved her brother's life. But instead, the sentence she chose to say, in my opinion, took it. Yeah. You go through all of this stuff, and in that moment, he gets out. You're on the phone with him, and he's scared because it's starting to work, and he's starting to feel the effects of that carbon monoxide that he is breathing in, and you tell him, What are you doing? Get back in. Yeah. Like, this is... Yeah. Um, In the documentary that I watched, there's an appellate attorney named Dana Curhan. I'm not 100% sure what that is. I tried to look it up. I got a little confused because legal stuff makes my brain hurt. Um, But he said, you know, she did tell him to get back in. He didn't have to listen. She didn't force him to. Mm Mm-hmm. So, how did the defense rebuttal that once the courtroom, the judge, found out that she told him to get back in when he tried to stop? They claimed that the prosecution showed the court less than 1% of the text conversations between Michelle and Sam. I don't think that really matters in this case with what she said. (laughs) No, it doesn't matter if that was one text and they had sent 50,000 text that said i love million. you i don't care what they said that's all that matters yep Agreed. um they basically tried to show the show the depth of their friendship 
like their closeness. And their whole argument was Michelle wouldn't do this for attention because she was already close to these girls. That's why they kept reiterating the fact of these other conversations and they were yeah, closer than what the prosecution is saying and stuff. Like, she didn't have a reason to do this because she already had all these friends. Yeah. Anyways, one journalist named Ashley Banfield, she's very popular. She's on a lot of true crime documentaries and stuff. Okay. She was talking about them doing this, and she said, but, quote, frankly, mopping up the venom that was the I told him to get back in text, that was an uphill climb, end quote. Mm. And I really liked that, the venom. Yeah. Of that text. Yep. So it's no surprise that this case got national attention. One text Michelle sent to Sam really stood out to the media and to the public. Mm -hmm. And this was about a week after Conrad's death. And it said, quote, I had it all planned out. Now it's going to be something different, maybe something better, but I just don't think that's possible. He was my person. End quote. Okay. And the reason that that stood out to so many people... Because I'm, of how she said it? No, I'm going to play you a very oh. short clip. Okay. And then we will talk about why. Elaborate. Okay. And now what? I don't know. Something different. Maybe something better. I just I don't think that that's possible. <laughs> he was my person. So, that is a clip from Glee. Leah Michelle's character, Rachel, is saying that about whenever Finn. Finn passed away. Oh, my gosh. She says at the beginning of that clip, I had it all planned out. And then she says a little bit after that about, you know, she was going to do this and they were going to do this. And then the now it's going to be something different happened. So it was almost word for word. That's crazy. What that character said. So the character, Finn, mm -hmm. Rachel's boyfriend died on the show, and the actor that played him, Corey Monteith, passed away in real life from an overdose. Mm -hmm. Michelle had tons of pictures of Leah Michelle on her phone. She told Conrad that Leah Michelle's song titled You're Mine was their song, and when she told him to listen to it, she put in parentheses that Leah Michelle was her idol and her favorite person ever. A psychotherapist in the documentary that I watched said that it was really creepy of her to mimic someone who was grieving. And it was this big thing. Of course, the public is going to, like, latch on to that. Right. Because it ties into, like, Glee, this well-known show and stuff, and celebrities. Either way, that's weird. But it's like she had this weird obsession. Yeah. The way I see it, that just goes to show, like, she was just putting on a face Playing the role of the grieving girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Literally playing yeah. the role. But the main thing I thought was weird, Corey Monteith died July 13th, 2013. Conrad died July 12th, 2014. So there was a question floating around if she was trying to get Conrad to quote unquote do it on the anniversary of Corey Monteith's death. Ugh. Is that not weird? That's creepy. Yeah. Yes. But with everything else, like her being the way she is. Like just it doesn't general, seem that crazy. Yeah. First of all, she's not right in the head anyway to say those things. Mm-hmm. And then to add the fact that she loves Leah Michelle, favorite person ever, quote her, I don't think that's too far-fetched. No, I don't either. And that's even... Yeah. 
It's not crazy to think that she would do that, but the fact that it doesn't seem crazy she would do that is crazy. Yes. I feel like that sort of made sense. It did. Okay, anyways. After three days of witness testimony, the prosecution rested, and they felt that they had successfully established a motive and proved how bad she wanted Conrad to die, basically. Yeah. On June 9th, it was the defense's turn. One of their witnesses was a police officer, and he testified that about five months before Conrad's death, he had called 911 claiming that his dad had punched him. The officer said when they got there, Conrad's face was swollen, it was red, he had some lacerations on it, and apparently Conrad's statement to police was that he didn't wash some pots and pans that his dad asked him to when he asked him to. They got into it, I guess, and things got physical. His dad was arrested, but no charges were ever filed against him. Okay. But the defense argued that that incident contributed to Conrad's suicide. Because that's one thing that got in his head and he was already in a bad place and whatever. So there was that. Okay. But their key witness was Dr. Peter Bregan. Okay. He trained at Harvard. Mm -hmm. He had decades of experience. Bunch of letters after your name don't really mean a whole lot, though, in my opinion. I don't disagree. (laughs) Well, he pointed out that Michelle's attitude toward Conrad significantly changed in the months leading up to his death. He said that in 2012, whenever he brought up, you know, hurting himself, she would say, Conrad, stop. You're not going to do that. Don't talk like that. He said, you know, she was kind. She was caring. She was trying to help him. In 2013, at one point, she asked if he was still seeing his therapist, you know, checking in on him. One text said, I try my best to think of ways to help you, and I just wish you knew how much you meant to me. And I skimmed through all of these texts very briefly, because mm-hmm. there's a lot. And I noticed one dated on June 20th of 2014. So this is the month before he died, less than a month before he died. Conrad tells her that he felt brain dead because mm-hmm. of all of his negative thoughts. And Michelle sent him three different links to websites about anxiety and bad thoughts and stuff. So even just a month before, it did seem like she was genuinely trying to help. Yeah. Well, apparently, Michelle was taking the antidepressant Celexa. Okay. And Dr. Bregan said that this affects the brain's frontal lobe, which has adverse effects on your empathy, your decision-making, your ability to love, things like that. Okay. And he testified that at the time she was encouraging Conrad to commit suicide, she was suffering from involuntary intoxication. Basically saying that the side effects of her medication obscured her thoughts and her behavior. He said that on July 2nd, 2014 is when she began to help him go to heaven. I guess he meant through her advice and her encouragement, that's what she was trying to do. Whatever. He also said due to her diminished mental capacity, she truly believed she was helping him. She didn't think that she was doing anything bad or criminal. She was just genuinely helping him do what he wanted the way he wanted. What are your thoughts on her being involuntarily intoxicated? Do you have any thoughts? I can't say 100% because I don't know how that stuff affects the brain. I don't even know if all of it is legit and good for you. That's controversial in itself, yeah. so I won't get into all and that. And Dr. Bregan, even he was like a, um activist, I guess you could say, against antidepressant medication being prescribed to teenagers. He okay. was against that. 
Yeah, I'm kind of uh, on the fence about some of those because it alters your brain. Yeah. I don't think that I can say that it can affect you to where you don't even know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, I mean, we really don't know. Some of y'all out there listening may, but I don't know. Maybe you'll have a different thought here in just a minute. I think that she was intentional. I still think that. Well, the prosecution. I just had another thought. I'm sorry. It's fine. If you're drunk and you do something, you're still held accountable. Throwing that out there. She didn't physically do anything, but she is still the reason why he did what he did. So, go ahead. I don't disagree. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The prosecution, they do their cross-examination. And they talk about how on July 10th, the year that Connor had passed, 2014, she had an appointment with her therapist. Okay. They said she was making eye contact. She was well-groomed, displayed good judgment. She was cooperative with a pleasant attitude. She had logic thoughts, Mm -hmm. logical thoughts. And Dr. Bregan claimed that she was already suffering from this involuntary intoxication. Mm -hmm. July 2nd, remember? Yep. So she was in that good of a mindset when she went to her therapist, but just two days later, she didn't know the difference between right and wrong when she was telling him to kill himself and to get back in the truck. Yeah. And Bregan just basically repeated that she believed that she was doing the right thing. Like, can you explain that, though? Can you elaborate on it? No? Okay. Because you can't. Because it doesn't even make sense to you. Yep. Anyways, the prosecution also handed Dr. Bregan the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Mm -hmm. She tells him, show me where involuntary intoxication is explained in that book. And Bregan says, oh, that's not in there. That's just a legal term. Oh, oh, okay. So you're testifying that Michelle had a mental disorder that's not a mental disorder? Huh? Yeah, or a side effect. What? Like from a medication that doesn't even exist. Anyways, <laughs> I don't even. I don't even. So the prosecution goes after Dr. Bregan even further, addressing the fact that he's not a board certified psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Basically, they're just poking a bunch of holes in his testimony. Yeah, they're trying to discredit his credibility. <laughs> yeah, they're yep. basically diminishing everything he just said. Yeah. At some point, I forgot to mention this earlier. Michelle suffered from an eating dis- an eating disorder and apparently started taking Prozac for depression and anxiety at the age of 14. Okay. I'm not sure how long she was on that. I'm not sure what her doses were like or dosage, whatever. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that in there. Okay. Um, when Dr. Bregan left the witness stand, the defense rested. Now they had to wait for the verdict. And it was okay. all up to Judge Moniz. Mm-hmm. The crime of involuntary manslaughter was punishable by up to 20 years in prison. The prosecution, however, was seeking 7 to 12. Okay. It took Judge Moniz three days to reach a verdict, and on June 16th, he was ready to deliver it. Okay. Before I go any further, do you have any thoughts, extra things you would like to say? I was going to ask how old she was. (laughs) I forgot. She was just like a year younger At the time of her trial, I think she was 20. Okay. Judge Moniz delivers his decision. Mm -hmm. And I want to read you a good chunk of that. And it's kind of long, but I just want to. So I'm going to. So I apologize that it's kind of long. Your podcast. Your episode. Do what you want. (laughs) He said, This court finds that the Commonwealth has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the actions taken by Miss Carter 
as to the period from June 30th to July 12th, constituted wanton and reckless conduct by her. The Commonwealth has not proven, as to that time period, that said reckless or wanton behavior caused the death of Mr. Roy. He secured the water pump, he located his vehicle in an unnoticeable area, and commenced his attempt by starting the pump. However, he breaks that chain of self-causation by exiting the vehicle. When Miss Carter realizes that Mr. Roy has exited the truck, she instructs him to get back into the truck, which she has reason to know is or is becoming a toxic environment inconsistent with human life. The court does not find that the intentionality necessary for such wanton and reckless conduct is obviated by Dr. Bregan's theory of involuntary intoxication and that the court did not find that analysis correct. This court, having reviewed the evidence and applied the law thereto, now finds you guilty on the indictment, charging you with the involuntary manslaughter of the person, Conrad Roy III. Good. He really, that, really went that back and forth. Text. That one text. Yes. He's essentially saying that her texts of encouragement, her suggestions, they weren't enough for a guilty verdict. Mm-hmm. Her telling him to get back in the truck, that was enough. Sergeant Gordon described it as him giving that decision and telling the verdict was a roller coaster. Because yeah. he was like, this is da, but but there's this. However, yeah. and I could see you, your, fence, your fences. What? Your fists were clenched. Your head was going up and down, and you looked confused and excited and sad at the same time. Yeah, and I was back and forth. That's how I was like. That's how everybody in the courtroom was like. Like, emotions yeah. were all over the place. That's why I wanted to read that so you would get yeah, it worked. that effect. Um, the sentencing hearing, as all you know, I'm sure, they're allowed to do victim impact statements. Mm. They're allowed to address the court, address the judge, address the defendant, Mary Claire Flynn, the assistant district attorney, she read Conrad's mom's witness testimony, and part of that said, There is not one day that I do not mourn the loss of my beloved son. Every day I strive to be a better mother to his sisters and a better person for him. Sorry. (laughs) I want him to be proud of me and how I am handling everything. I am trying to be there for his sisters in the best way that I can, with all of my pain that we will carry with us until eternity. Sorry, that got me a little bit. Um, Michelle's sentence. She was sentenced to 15 months in prison. She served 12 months and was released on January 23rd, 2020 on good behavior. She remained on probation until August of this year, 2022. And Conrad's grandfather spoke about her release. He told E! News, quote, It is very difficult. This doesn't work for me. If you ask me, she's not a good person. The sentence was too lenient. 15 months is nothing to a lifetime with my grandson. And Mm -mm. he also called out the Bristol County Sheriff in a statement that he made to the Boston Herald. And he said, quote, The sheriff should serve the rest of her time. He lets her go because she's a good girl. She's not a good girl. End quote. Wow. I can't say that I disagree. No, I don't. The psychotherapist that was in the documentary, Dr. Roby Ludwig, she said, quote, The reality is Michelle was a sick girl. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be respected. She wanted to be popular. And I think in her mind, someone needed to die. And in this case, it was Conrad, end quote. 
Ugh. Just want to end on a little bit of a good note. Uh, the Roy family is trying to get Conrad's law passed, which would officially make it a crime to encourage someone to take their life or provide them with the means to do so, with some medical exemptions. Right. Um, it would hold a maximum sentence of five years. And as far as I could find, they're still waiting to see the yeah. outcome of that. The last thing I want to say, if you are in a similar mindset as Conrad yes. was, I want to give you the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It is 1-800-273-8255. You can also go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org and be the one com for information, for help, for resources, to help yourself, to learn how to help somebody who needs help and mm-hmm. won't help themselves. I always say, be the person that gets on somebody's freaking nerves because you will not leave them alone. Yeah. Bug them. Get on the nerves. If they're mad at you, who cares? They're here because it's awful. Yeah. Everybody always says, I never thought they would actually do anything. Yeah. So quit thinking that and start thinking, they might actually do it. And what would you do if you thought that way instead? Yeah. You wouldn't just leave them. And so they keep coming back. So they're doing it for attention. Think that that's okay, but be there. Yeah. If they're doing how we it always for say, attention. what if, what if you're wrong? Yeah. All the time. What if you're wrong? Give them that attention. I'd, they need something. Apparently. I hope. Like I would never want to be in a situation where I have to say that sentence. I never thought they would do it. No. Or I never thought it would happen to me or yeah. to my family. Mm-hmm. So be the person that gets on their freaking nerves and drives them crazy. And along that line, be the one who is ridiculously strict with your children if you have to be. Sorry, yeah. throwing that out there. <laughs> be the one, too. Um, yeah. Also, they recently released a miniseries on Hulu about okay. Conrad's case starring Elle Fanning. Her resemblance to Michelle in some of the screen caps is uncanny. It's a little unsettling. I'm sure she does a great job because Elle Fanning is a very good actress. I haven't watched it. I feel like a lot of the shows and movies that are based on true stories and things that really happened, they take too many creative liberties mm-hmm. and a lot of time it deviates too far from the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I may give it a watch, but I'm always skeptical about stuff like that. Not saying that this one does, but you know, that's yeah, just Yeah, and me. I would be iffy because it seems like sometimes the ones who are supposed to be portraying the evil in this situation get the praise. It's like that even with this episode. I felt like it was a lot about Michelle and her character. And I feel like the focus gets taken away from Conrad a lot. Yeah. But, you know, and it's hard for me to, it was hard for me to go through all of that and think about Conrad too much in some parts of it because I wouldn't have been able to get through that part of it. Right. So you have to kind of distance kind of have yourself to, emotionally. Yeah. But I told you this one was going to be a controversial one, a hard one. A lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings, a well, lot of emotions. I think, like you said, encouraging someone, you know, is a law, you know, against the law in a lot of states. And I think that that's right because the mind is so fragile mm-hmm. and it can be, it's a, so easily influenced. Oh yeah. I mean, he was 18, but even before that he was struggling. And I think that that really can play a role in it. That's why when there's bullying and stuff and you don't see the stuff on the outside yeah, or you can't see the stuff on the inside, it's important. So, yeah, I think that that should be against the law. Yeah, I don't. 100%. I don't disagree. I 100% think it should be against the law. Right. And if, if it, obviously, if it can be proved as blatantly as that. Yes, that's the thing. If it is clear, 
I'm not saying if two girls in high school get in a fight and they're like, why don't you just go jump off a bridge? And then a year later, tragically, that happens. I don't think that girl that said it in the heat of the moment one time is responsible for her death. If she's constantly texting her, telling her to harm herself, yes. Yeah. It's hard enough for children and people in general to battle what's inside their own heads. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so let alone adding all of this unnecessary negative influence. Yeah, exactly. And people go through so much internally trying to be perfect and trying to live up to society's, you know, view of what they should be. Yeah. yeah. And then to have someone like her add this intentionally to someone who's already struggling. Yeah. I say it's hard enough for someone to figure it out on their own, Mm -hmm. you know, and mental illness and get through it. There's all kinds of people around you that... Say they seen that they thought they were okay, you know, and then to have someone who knows that they're not and to push them. So yeah, there's my rant. No, it's fine. I mean, that's like the whole thing with this. Like I'll just go in circles and 15 yep. months. No, no, 12, 12 months. Yeah. Even just sentenced to 15 months, served 12 months. I thought she was going to get more. I wish she did. And you don't know anything about what she's doing now. I mean, there, it's like rumored that she still, you know, is living with her parents, whatever, but I don't know. Mm-mm. I just, I agree with Judge Moni's that it wasn't, like, I still feel like it was, but from his position of authority, his role in the justice system, I understand why he couldn't deliver a guilty verdict just based on all of the other texts. As messed up as they are, as morally wrong as they are. Yeah. I get that. And I completely agree that that one time when she told him to get back in the truck after she knew that it was unsafe and what it would lead to, and she told him to get back in, that was it. So it got me earlier. He was right there. He was like almost fine. Yeah. Physically. He would have probably he needed could have to had get that, checked out he would and have, stuff. He would have had that one, one more chance. That may have saved him. And that right there, Dr. Bregan, whatever, irrelevant. <laughs> Nobody can say that she fully believed that she was helping him to accomplish what he wanted because when he gets out, because he is scared, he obviously does not want to. Yeah. So that right there, that is on you. And like we got, especially you, you made me get emotional because I've been sitting with this for a long time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I've had the time to sit and process it and have my feelings and stuff and I kind of just like sprung it on you. So sorry about that. But it's okay. <laughs> it's because just the thought of thinking of how that played out. Yeah. And it's it's awful. Yeah. It's just awful. If you or anybody you know needs some type of help or you're not sure if somebody needs help, just get them the help. If they don't need it, they don't need it. No harm, no foul. Right. If they do, they do. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. But that one, it's been weighing on me for a while and I really wanted to get it out there Yeah, for Conrad. And I really, really hope that Conrad's law gets passed. I do too. And just uh, just take this as an episode. If you can't say that you enjoyed it or whatever, you know, just take it as an episode to raise awareness about suicide and just mental illness in general. Yeah. I like the episodes that we do that are funny mm-hmm. and goofy. And I like the ones that are stories that need to be told just because they need to be told. Right. And this one just has a different feel. You're not going to feel good at the end of this episode. (laughs) I just want it to make you think. Yeah. I don't want you to think about this all the time to where it affects your mental health. Obviously, just far enough back 
in your mind where it doesn't affect you, but it's still there whenever you see something or you hear yeah. something to know what to do in those situations. Yeah. Just keep it to and, where you can help. And even, you know, like you said, he was doing very well, yeah. it seems. So many times it seems. Mm-hmm. So if you know someone has struggled with that in the past and they seem like they're doing fine, look for those little, I don't know what to call them. Warning signs, red flags. Yeah, just tiny stuff mm -hmm. that they may say, even if they brush it off as a joke. Pay attention to those and little light bulbs come up, you know, and you know what to do. I'm not saying it'd be easy. I can't imagine. No, I can't either. But I'm um, sure it's not. But make an effort. Yes. I vow to make an effort. <laughs> I vow to make an effort. Okay, before we get all emotional again, send your stories, all the things, suggestions, questions, theories to our email Join our Facebook group. Follow uh, us on Instagram. Uh, become a relative on our Patreon. And we hope you keep listening. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Goodbye.